take it places, uh, the pages began to fall out. And so I had found a place in Nashville, Tennessee that would glue the pages back in for me. And after the seventh time of gluing pages back in, the fellow said, man, you're going to have to do something different. We're, we're done with this Bible. I don't want you to bring it back anymore. So I decided to go on a hunt for my Bible, uh, the exact same one. But then I found out that it was out of print. They had the same size, but they had changed it. They had put, in a, put a, little, uh, a little excerpt at the beginning of each book in the newer version of it. And I didn't want that one. I wanted mine. I wanted the one because I remember being in class and underlining that verse. I remember what color it was in. I remember what I was thinking when I did that. I knew that I could flip in my Bible and find it. And I wanted my Bible. And I looked for seven years for another one like it. While I kept piecing that one together and putting tape all over it. Every time I'd go and visit a congregation, I'd say, can I look through your library? I want to see your Bibles. I want to see a Bible. I'm looking for a specific one. A lot of people gave them as gift Bibles back in the 90s. Any chance you've got, never could find one. My dad passed away, and we were going through some of his things, and I found one. He had one as well, and he just put it away and didn't know it. He had only used it a time or two, and he had underlined one or two verses in pencil. But it was the exact same Bible. I took that Bible at the time I was living in Dallas, Texas, and I went down to a leather shop, and I found a piece of leather that was the color I liked. I love brown leather. I found a piece of brown leather, and I find a guy online. He lives in California, and his website is preservetheword.com. And I called this guy up, and I said, listen, I, I found your website. I want you uh, to take a piece of leather, and I want you to put it on a Bible for me. Can you do that? And he said, yes. His name was Graham. Graham said, you know, I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not a preacher. I don't know much about the Bible, but my wife and I have a little shop out behind our house. And we decided that our ministry was going to be to make sure that people who loved their Bibles had the one they wanted, had the one they want the way they wanted it. And I said, well, Graham, I'm going to send you my Bible. It's very important to me. This Bible is very, very specific Bible that I want and I want to take care of. And I sent it to him. He cut that piece of leather out and he wrapped it around it. And I sent him my signature. I emailed it to him and he burned it in the front of it. He put three tassels in it, the color I want, and he put a pocket in the back right back here, exactly out of felt, exactly like I wanted it. And I took this Bible and I meticulously transferred all my notes over into it. I know what's in pencil. I know what's in red ink. I know what's in blue and black ink. I know what's circled. I know I have my system. It's my Bible. It's the Bible that I've always used. I don't know that I will always use it, but it's mine. But I'm going to tell you something. I teach at Freed Harman University, as was mentioned, and one of the things I've noticed quite a bit is I don't see many Bibles anymore. I see a lot of tablets, and I see a lot of iPhones. That bothers me. I understand technology, and I respect technology. I have an iPad right here, and that's what I'll be using for my notes tonight. I'll use it quite a bit. I don't preach without it. I've got an iPhone right here that I have dropped in the water, in the lake. It sat at the bottom of the lake for three hours. And a buddy of mine went and fished it out and picked it up and called my wife from it and said, guess what? It still works. I like technology. I like technology quite a bit, but I like my Bible. 
And I'm, I'm afraid that in the digital world that we live in, we might accidentally, out of convenience, miss some things that are really important to us. I mean, um, I'm going to take my iPhone and I'm going to trade it in before too long. I'm going to get a different iPad somewhere along the way, but I'm not going to find a different Bible for a long time. I know where it is on the page. I know the way I like it. And I think there's something about having a connection to the things that are spiritual and holding them very important in our lives, a very important place. I'll tell you something else I'm a little worried about. I'm a little worried uh, about what the church is going to look like after all this COVID stuff. I'm just like you. I love the Lord. And I'm just like you. I absolutely love the church. Everything that I have that is good or everything that is important to me in my life is either from or because of the church. I love the church. I love the opportunity to spend time with different congregations and travel around. And I've noticed that people are worried just about the exact same things that I am. We're worried about what's next. We're all going to come back, but are we all going to come back? I'm worried that this is going to be a time of pruning for the church. A time where people who have been with us and been holding on might have got shaken loose. I'm afraid that there's a lot of people that we might not ever see again. And that breaks my heart because I know some of them. I've studied with some of them. I've baptized some of them. And I'm worried that some of them might not come back. And you know what else I'm worried? I'm worried about the exact same thing that you are. That this time when technology was so helpful to us, when it was such an important part of our week, where we sat around in our homes and we gathered around and we participated in worship with our brothers and sisters because of this great technology. You know what I'm worried about? Same thing you are. That some people are going to like that too much. I'm afraid that some of our good, good brothers and sisters who have been faithful along the way, I'm afraid they're going to say, you know what, let's just stay home this morning and let's watch worship. I'm afraid that they're going to say, you know what, let's go see our family this afternoon. And we'll just come back and we'll pull it up on our iPhones and we'll just watch it while we're driving down the road. And I'm afraid that we're going to get the point to is, is we don't engage in worship, but we watch worship. And I love the church too much. And I love the God who built the church too much to watch worship. Now, I don't think that it's all doom and gloom. As a matter of fact, I think the church was built to last. I think the church was built to endure all kinds of things like this. I think we're going to be just fine. I think in a lot of ways we're going to come back re or are coming back rejuvenated and excited and looking forward to things. Getting back together and doing some of the normal things that we used to do. Just getting to have a meal together or get to sit and worship together. Finally get rid of these masks and not have to wear these things because we're at a place where we don't have to worry about it as much anymore. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to offend somebody if we're not wearing one. Or right, There's a lot of good things that are going to come. I think the church is going to be just fine, but I also think there might be some negative, some negative repercussions that we weren't really aware of, didn't really look for. 
And so because of that, I think it's important for us to discuss a little bit about worship. I think it's important for us to look at worship to see what it is that we're doing. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a couple minutes with you and we're going to walk through five questions. Somebody click that for me. We're going to go through five questions. And I just want to walk through them and talk just a little bit and, and walk up to where are we when it comes to our worship in a digital age. Yes, it's a blessing to be able to be sick and not feel like coming and being in worship and be able to turn it on our computers and feel like we're a part of things. Take the Lord's Supper at the time that our brothers and sisters are taking it. That's a blessing. It's a blessing if there's uh, something wrong and we can't get there. We've got that, but at the same time, I think it would become an extreme problem for us if we've decided that that takes the place of worship. That somehow that's the same as worship. And so I want to ask the first question, what is worship? Well, let's see. We'll try her again. How about that? I'm going to use that button. There we go. What is worship? That's going to be our first question. What is worship? Well, the word, the word that is translated worship is actually translated two different things in the New Testament. One, it's worship, but it's also translated to fall down in front of. The word's proskuneo. It literally means to kiss towards. You've heard that before. But it's translated in two different ways, apparently based on context and the significance of the passage. There are times that the word worship is used as an expression, as, as, as talking to or, or building up, lifting up. And then there's times where it is to fall down on your face. And in the context of those passages, it's where maybe Jesus is telling, uh, telling one of the parables. And there's a man in an extreme situation and his family's about to be taken away from him. And he goes into the landowner and he proskuneo, he worships, he falls down in front of this man. Now why would a person do that? I tried to think, why would somebody ever walk into somebody and lay down on the ground in front of them? Why would somebody do that? Well, the only way, I, only reason I can think that you would do that would be if you were desperate. And you wanted to get someone's attention and you wanted them to know that you were desperate. You wanted them to know that you wanted their attention. And so I think the idea behind worship, and this is the RSV, the Reed Swindle version, that you're not going to find this definition or anything, but this is just me putting it together. It seems to be that the idea behind worship is desperately seeking God's attention in order to communicate our gratitude to Him. That's what we're trying to do when we come here. We come together to worship God. And our aim, our goal is to desperately seek His attention. And we have to take Him into consideration. If we really want to communicate with someone, then we try to take them into, into consideration. Listen, husbands and wives do this every day. You've got something you want to talk to your spouse about. You know, you walk up, you, you, you take a bite of, uh, of the chicken and it's burned. And you look at her and say, that chicken burned, woman. That ain't going to go very well. You know, you're going to go hungry that night. and You're going to sleep. On, it's just not going to go well for you. But what you're going to do is you're going to take that person in consideration. You're going to wait for the right opportunity and you're going to use the right words because if you really want to communicate with somebody, then you take them into consideration. 
And when it comes to our worship to God, we've got to take God into consideration. I think there's the reason there's a church on every corner is because people forget to take God into consideration. They would much rather talk about what they would like to do in worship or how they like worship when the truth of the matter is, is if I'm trying to desperately seek God's attention to communicate with Him, then I have to take Him into consideration. I have to know how He wants to be communicated, what it is that He wants done. If, if there's a way to effectively communicate with God, then I want to know what that is so I can do it that way. Some people get the word, the word worship and praise mixed up. The word praise means to tell the story of. Sometimes we talk about praise and worship, but I'm okay with that. I understand that context, but sometimes I'm afraid we get those mixed up. Or we get a, a, we, we use them interchangeably. The word praise means to tell a story of. I could stand up here and tell you a story about my daughter. And I could praise her and talk about how good she is at this or how good she is at that. I could tell a story about my little boy and tell you how good he is. And I'd be praising him, but I wouldn't dare worship him. Well, then there's the word glorify, and that's really what we mean. The word glorify means to raise the opinion of. If you're a car salesman and you want to sell your car and somebody comes to the lot, you're going to say everything you can to raise the opinion of that vehicle in that person's mind. That's glorifying it. We have a responsibility to glorify God but that's not worship. We have a responsibility to praise God, but that's not necessarily worship. But we have a responsibility to worship God as well. And so if we're going to worship God and we're desperately seeking His attention in order to communicate, then we have to take Him into consideration. How do you want to be communicated with? Is there a right way to talk to you? Is there a wrong way? The absolute answer to that is yes. And we'll come back to that in just a second. So the next question would be, well, why would I worship God? In a culture that we live in today, worship sounds like a very negative thing. I mean, the, the, the religious words that we've used all our lives, that we've been using for decades, have a negative connotation because of our culture right now. Worship almost carries a sense of, of um, negativity in our culture, in our society. It's almost like the word service or servant. You know, only poor people are servants. Only people who can't get a good job, they're the ones who serve. I hire people to serve me. It's almost like there's a negative connotation to it. Well, worship kind of has that kind of negative connotation. So why would we ever worship God? Well, there were three times I'd like to quickly point out to you that people worship Jesus. And I understand we don't worship Jesus right now. But while He was here, He represented God and was God. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1, you have Jesus has just come out down from the Sermon on the Mount. He stood up there and talked on that mountain about all these things, about doing your good deeds to be seen before God and not men, to making sure that you lived your life right and you weren't a hypocrite. You didn't sound the trumpets before you uh, when you did your good works because the people who do that, they have their reward. And when you pray, I don't want you to make a big deal about it. Just close your door and go pray. Well, he has a chance immediately when he comes down to that mountain to put, put that into practice. In chapter 8 and verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you notice he said he came and worshipped him? 
He came and worshipped him. You know why? He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Here's the idea. This man knew what Jesus could do. You know why we worship God? Because we know what God can do. I can go through my Bible and show you things. You can go through your Bible and share things with people that God has done. We can stop and look at the time our prayers have been answered. Do you know my friend Steve Higginbotham? He lives in outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. He's a great, great, great preacher. One of my closest friends in this world. I did my internships with him in Glasgow, Kentucky. He teaches at the Southeastern Institute of Biblical Studies. He texted me one day and said, I've got some bad news. I've got a lot of cancer. It's bad. Many of you have gotten text messages like that. I don't know exactly how prayer works. I don't know exactly how God chooses to answer which prayers. I don't understand that about God. But I know we prayed for my friend Steve. And on the way down here, that was back in October, September. I talked to him on the way down here today. I keep up with him pretty regularly. And I just said, Steve, how are you? And he said, man, I'm going to be honest. Everything's going away. They had given him weeks to live. And now everything's... I know what God can do. I don't know why He does or doesn't do things all the time. I don't understand how He answers prayers. But I know what He can do. So I want to desperately seek His attention. Because I know what He can do. You fast forward just a little bit. You look at Matthew chapter 14. There's a storm. And they're out on a boat. Jesus was walking on the water. I don't know what that looked like. I, I don't know what Peter saw when he looked out. They thought they saw a ghost. When the lightning was flashing, I don't know what that was. He walking up in on top of the waves. Was Were the waves parting? I've heard of things happening like that before, haven't you? Maybe they were parting and he was walking straight. Was he wet? Was he dry? Was he getting splashed? I don't know what it looked like. But I know that when he got back in the boat, when they got him over into the boat, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They worshipped Him because they know who He was. We know who God is. We know that God is the Creator of the universe. We know that He's the God of the heavens and the earth. We know His power as much as we can know it. I don't think that we can completely understand how strong God is. I know we can't know what God knows. But as limitedly as we can, we know who God is. And so we worship Him because of that. And then you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. When the tomb was found empty and they ran to tell everybody. In verse 9 it says, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They had just left the empty tomb. They had seen him die on a cross. They had seen his body be put into a tomb. And now he's walking around talking to them. And they fell down and worshipped him. Why? Because they knew what he had done. We come together and we worship God because we know what he can do. We come together and we worship God because we know who He is. And we come together and we worship God 
because we know what he's done. There's not a person in here who doesn't have some sort of personal story about something great God has done in your life. And worship is about desperately seeking God's attention to tell Him thank you for that. It's desperately seeking His attention to communicate how grateful we are for what He's given us, what He's done for us, how He's revealed Himself to us, how He blesses us. That's what this is about. And so before we can ever talk about watching worship, and before we can ever really talk about how we solve a problem of whether or not I'm going to watch it on a device instead of showing up, I've got to figure out what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And what's required. So the next question is, is how serious does God take worship? If we're taking God into consideration, shouldn't we ask Him that question? You're familiar with the story in Leviticus chapter 10, right? With Nadab and Mahi, the sons of Aaron. We go and we look at the Old Testament and we say, well, we can't use the Old Testament to help us know how to worship. I agree with that. There's not a single thing in the Old Testament that's a law that we can bring over and apply in the New Testament in our worship because the Old Testament was done away with and we have a pattern for New Testament worship. But we can go back and see things about the nature of God. We can go back and see how God views things and what God thinks about things. And God takes worship extremely seriously. He takes it very serious. You can read in Leviticus chapter 10 where all it said was they took profane fire and offered it before the Lord. And there's only one statement given. That which He had not commanded them. And that's not to be mistaken with that which He had commanded them not. That's different. He didn't say don't do this. This was just something He had not commanded them. He told them how to do it. When He told them how to do it, it excluded everything else. And so they brought in something that He didn't like. And the next verse literally says, and so fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. How serious does God take worship? I'll be honest with you. He takes it more seriously than we do. If God was sending fire from heaven every time we worshiped incorrectly, what would that look like? That'd be, a, that'd be a different kind of place, wouldn't it? If God decided to send fire every time that I didn't take worship as seriously as He would like for me to, or I did something I shouldn't do, or I handled it wrong, things would look different. You know the passage in John chapter 4, verse 23, where it says God is seeking people who worship Him correctly, who worship Him in spirit and truth. So that brings us then to our next question. Does it really matter how I worship? Well, this is kind of getting a little more into what we're talking about in the digital age. Does it really matter how I worship God? There's not a piano in here. Many of you have fought that fight. Many of you have lost friends over that. Many of you have split families over that. Thank you for that. Thank you for refusing to worship incorrectly. Thank you 
for deciding that you are going to take God into consideration when you honor Him with the way you communicate with Him. The reason that there's no piano in here is not because we don't want to be wrong. The reason there's no piano in here is because we want to worship God right. Those are two totally different things. And just because we're not doing it wrong doesn't automatically mean that we are doing it right. Just because there is no instrument in here, just because we don't add to our worship doesn't automatically mean that we are doing it right. Because when we engage God in worship, when we sing together, when we pray together, when we take the Lord's Supper together, when we study together and we, we pass that collection plate, we're engaging with God together. And it matters it matters how we do that. You can go back and find unlimited examples of that. I encourage all of us to make sure that we absolutely refuse to worship incorrectly. And that just doesn't mean that we don't have an instrument. Worshiping incorrectly can be not having anything to do with the song service that we're engaged in. Thinking about where we're going to lunch instead of taking the Lord's Supper and thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made. We engage God. Do you know that the plagues were sent because Moses refused to worship incorrectly? Have you ever thought about it? That's what the whole conversation was about. In Exodus chapter 3, when God spoke to Moses, in verse 18, he says, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's worship. That's what that was about. He said, When you go, I want you to say, I want you to let all my people go three days' journey into the wilderness. We want to sacrifice to God there. That's where we're going to go. We're not going to go two days. We're not going to go four days. We're going to go three days. And when we get out there, we're going to be in the wilderness. And when we're in the wilderness, we're going to sacrifice to God because that's what God told us to do. And when he goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, get back to work. Are you crazy? Do you think I'm just going to let all my workers leave and take a three-day vacation? You've got to be out of your mind. I tell you what, we're going to make this tougher just to prove a point to y'all. I'm in control, not you or your God. And as you read through and the plagues are sent, the negotiation is over worship. Finally, after the eighth plague, Pharaoh says, tell you what, why don't you worship in the land? If you want to, if you want to sacrifice, sacrifice in the land. He said, "That's not what God said to do, so that's not what we're going to do." He said, "Okay, we'll tell you what. Leave all your animals here, and you can go out in the wilderness and you can worship there." He said, "That's not what God said to do." Moses absolutely refused to budge on God's commands about worship. That's the underlying context of the entire plague narrative. And what about in the book of Daniel? 
with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king had come up with this great song and said, when my song plays, I want you to get down, I want you to worship. And they said, we're not doing it. He said, I'm really going to need for you to do this. This is kind of embarrassing. I need for you to do this. He said, we're not doing it. He said, I'm dead serious. I'm going to throw you in a fire if you don't get down and worship. They said, we're not doing it. We're not budging. We're not giving in. We're not changing. Because we refuse to worship incorrectly. And their entire conversation was based on the fact that they were either going to die in a fire and be delivered into God's hands, or somehow God was going to miraculously take, miraculously take them through that fire, and a miracle would be done. But either way, they said. But even if not, even if He doesn't deliver from this fire, we absolutely will not change the way we worship. We refuse to do it wrong. What about Daniel? And that's almost a different story. I want you to stop doing it this way. I want you to stop worshiping your God the way you are. I want you to stop doing it as often as you're doing it. Daniel found himself spending the night in a den of lions because he refused to do it wrong. I think sometimes we've accidentally got a little weak. We've got nice pews. They're comfortable. We got a good sound system. Got a big tall pulpit so the short preacher could be seen by the guy in the back. We got air conditioning, it's nice. We got crying babies. Don't you love crying babies? Listen, moms, you let them babies cry all you want to. Because if that's hindering me from worship, that's my problem, not yours. Church loves crying babies. Now, the little old ladies who can't keep their wrappers with their, their candy, that's a different story. Y'all need to figure that out. But we like these crying babies. We want these families here, right? We love families. And if I've gotten so complacent in my worship that a mother who's trying to train her child how to sit in worship distracts me from desperately seeking God's attention to show Him gratitude, then maybe there's something wrong with me and not her. Maybe there's something wrong with the way I see things. Worship isn't about me, and worship isn't necessarily about you. It matters how we worship. It always has, and it should always. And so that brings us then to the question that we have that's pressing right now. The question that we're looking at with this, with this discussion. What about our multimedia worship? The question is, do we have to come together? I had a good friend of mine. His family doesn't come to church. He's a lawyer. He comes to worship all by himself. He gets up and he's tried to get his family there, but they won't come and it's not going to stop him from coming. He may have made some mistakes along the way, but he's a good man. He stopped by my office when all this stuff in the middle of all this and we stood and talked for a little bit. He said, man, I like this worshiping at home thing. 
He said, I really like this. He goes, I just feel like it's so much better. I just feel so much closer to God. He said, I can go into my office and I can close my door and I can sit there and I can pull my Bible out and I can worship. And I said, but we need to be together. We need to be in the same room, don't you think? And he said, oh, that's not what that verse means. And then he, then he did it. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. You heard that passage? You know what we like to do with that verse? We like to say, this means that I don't have to go to church tonight. Me and my family can have a devotional. We like to take that verse and say, you know, I think because where two or three are gathered together uh, in my name, there I am also, then obviously he's saying that we could just have a little something over here and then go to... Have you read that passage? Matthew chapter 18, he's talking about dealing with a sinning brother. And he's actually connecting it back to the Old Testament concept of where there are two or three witnesses. And you can't have an accusation against anybody without two or three witnesses. And so he's bringing that in. And in the New Testament, when he's talking about this, when you've got a brother who's sinned against you, you go and talk to him. If you can't fix that, you take somebody with you. If not, you get the elders involved or the church involved. And he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Not talking about worship. I'm afraid that we're going to have a lot of good, good people who have decided that being together isn't important. But that's not right. In Hebrews chapter 10, the passage you're familiar with, the Hebrew writer is addressing some very sensitive issues. There were a group of Christians who lived in and around Jerusalem. And it had been a while since Jesus had ascended. And he hadn't come back yet. But the Jewish faith in, Jer in Jerusalem had continued. These Christians were in Jerusalem and they were seeing the Jews come in for their feasts and they were hearing them, the animals walking through the streets and they were, they were seeing the blood that was, that was drained through the streets and they were, they were seeing all these things that continued. They knew that the priest was still over there. They knew his name. They heard about him. They just saw all these people coming in and out. And so they had wondered, you know, I wonder, I wonder if we're doing the right thing. I wonder if there's something else. Should we go back to the Jewish faith? Have we missed something? And so the Hebrew writer writes his letter to compare everything about the New Testament and the Old Testament to conclude that everything in the New Testament is superior. And in the course of this, in chapter 10, he says, I want you to be bold when you come to God. I want you to feel good about it. Not that it's about feelings, but I want you to have a conscience based on your conduct, that allows you to go before God glad that you have the opportunity to talk to Him. Glad that you have the opportunity to communicate. In verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, he's comparing what Jesus is offering to what that priest is still doing over in Jerusalem. By a new and living way which He consecrated for us, through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hang on tight. When we wonder if it's right, when we wonder if we're doing what we should be doing, when we don't feel like we have enough to even show up, hold on without wavering for He who promised is faithful. In verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You know the word here for mix is a cooking term. Um, it's the idea of putting a lot of different ingredients in one bowl and mixing them up to make something that then can be altered into something that tastes much better than the individual ingredients. It's a culinary term. And what he's saying here is, is when you and I come together, it's more than just being around each other. It's something much more important than that. You know, everything that we do here, we could do at home. Have you ever thought about it? We just did it, right? You could sing songs. You could say a prayer. You could take the Lord's Supper. You can listen to a lesson. You could drop your check off when you get a chance to run by the building. Every bit of it we can do at home. So why come together? He says, I want you to come together because, because we need each other. I love the church. Everything that I have that's good and important to me in my life is from or because of the church I love. I don't know many of you, but I plan on spending eternity with you. I may not get to know you very well, but we're the body of Christ. He bought us, paid for us, and we're really, really glad to accept salvation. That sounds really good to us. I'll take that forgiveness of sins thing. But, but what about the engagement? What about the part where we take God into consideration and what it is that He wants? I'm a terrible song leader. I'm the worst song leader on the planet. I can prove it, but I won't because you'd get up and leave. There is not a song leader any worse than me. I have other talents and other abilities. I can't sing worth a lick. I'm so glad that we got good song leaders. Because while I'm strong at this, I might be weak at this, and we got somebody else. We come together, and you bring your weaknesses, and you bring your terrible week, and you bring your, your, the way your boss has treated you, and you bring what's going on with your family, and the illnesses, and the sicknesses, and all the things you're dealing with. You bring them here. You come here with us. You bring them and you can put them in the bowl with us. And we maybe you had a great week. Things went really, really well. And you're excited. You got a promotion. You got a great, great news from the doctor. You fixed a relationship that was messed up. Your kids are doing great. You heard great news. You bring that and you put it together. You bring your strengths and you bring your weaknesses and I'll bring mine and we'll put them in one big bowl together and we'll mix them up. And whatever that is mixed together, if we desperately seek God's attention to communicate with Him, it's right. If it's on His terms, if we take Him into consideration, how many times have we walked in this building and the last place we wanted to be was in this parking lot? And we went out and started our car up 
There was no place we'd have rather been than right here with our brothers and sisters. Worship in the digital age shouldn't change anything. It shouldn't become a crutch. It shouldn't become an exchange. It can be used in assistance if you're sick. If there's some reason that you can't be here. But other than that, worship in the digital age is no different than worship at any other time in history. It's about God. It's about Him. And it's about desperately seeking His attention. I want to tell you one quick story as I conclude. You don't know Wayne and Faye McAlpin. Mr. Wayne is an elder at the church where I preach. He was a pharmacist. His wife, Faye, was a school teacher. It seemed like everybody that went through Corinth, Mississippi had Miss Faye. They loved her. And, um, one morning she woke up and one of the sides of her body was not working correctly. They thought maybe she'd had a stroke, so they took Miss Faye to the hospital. They found out she hadn't had a stroke. They didn't know what it was. So they sent her down to Tupelo. She started getting a little better, but she woke up one morning in the hospital and could not move her body. None of it. She could move her eyes and blink her eyelashes, and that was it. She was literally stuck inside of her body. Her mental capacity was 100%, but she couldn't move. They don't know what it was. Autoimmune is what they called it. They have no clue what happened. They said it could have been a bug bite. It could have been something that happened years ago. They have no idea. They would have to hold up a sheet of paper that had one, two, three, four, and they would say, is it on line one? She'd blink her eyes. Is it an A, a B, a C, a C? She'd blink her eyes. They'd write it. Mr. Wayne was crushed. He felt guilty for feeling good. She felt this bad. He was here. So whatever many steps above her in the health system he was, he felt worse. So he stopped eating, stopped taking care of himself, really just started going downhill. They finally got her to a place, fast forward a couple years, where she has a wheelchair that she can move around in. I remember the very first time that Wayne and Faye came back to church. The doors opened back there and the wheelchair came right down the middle aisle. Nobody knew they were coming. Hadn't seen them in over, over a year and a half. Her wheelchair came down and sat right there. They always sat in a pew right in front of my family and I. I sat right behind Wayne and Faye as the Lord's Supper was passed. Remember back when we could pass the trays? There was a tray that went by and the bread went through and Mr. Wayne stopped and broke off a piece and put his mouth and he broke off a piece and stood up and leaned across and put it in her mouth and I saw a tear come out of his eye. And then when that juice came by and he picked up that juice, he took a sip and put it down. He picked up uh, the cup and he leaned over and he put it in her mouth and a tear came out of her eye. Wayne and Faye love worship. They can't always be there. But they can't understand why in the world people who can don't. We're blessed. We're literally the most blessed people on the planet. We have the opportunity to be with God in heaven.
I don't even know why we're asking whether or not we should come to church. I hate that we're in that place. But I sure do love those people. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to you now. Thank you for all you've done. We love you and want to be with you. Be with us and bless us and forgive us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.